you are the great God above all gods. God, speak to our hearts now. Let this be a relevant word. Let it be a rich word. Lord, may it be a revolutionary word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Daniel, passage of scripture that Dr. Harris so eloquently read. But I want you to just read three verses. Verses 15, 16, and 17. Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, lyre, psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. This morning, I want to preach about facing the fires. Facing the fires. All of us, regardless of how holy we are, regardless of how committed we are to church or to our God, will face fires in life. Fires come in a multiplicity of, of ways. They can, they can be fires in, in the family, fires in our profession, um, fires with with our health. They come in a myriad of ways, but at some point or other, all of us will face fires in life. Those things that have a tendency to, to try to harm us, to hurt us, to hamper us, or to hinder us. But all of us will face certain fires. My fire might not be what yours is, and yours might not be what someone else's is, but the truth of the matter is, at some point, all of us will deal with some issues in life that we can describe as fires. The third chapter of Daniel begins with King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon making a huge image of gold. Most theologians believe that this image of gold was an image or statue that was in his likeness, that looked like him. Erected it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and then calling for all of the officials to assemble for the dedication of this image. It was a great day. It was a great time for this king. He had this statue, um, this this um, this statue image erected and he called for everybody to come and celebrate. The king's spokesman gave the command that at the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, this was his command. You must bow down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now in verse 6, the king's spokesperson gives an ultimatum. The ultimatum is this. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. How would you like that for an option? Which meant it was either bow or burn. When the music was played, verse 7 explains that all the peoples, the nation, and the men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
And all the people fell down to worship the image of gold, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them from chapter 1 and cha- chapters 1 and chapters 2? They were Daniel's close friends. They had been carried into Babylonian exile together. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who prayed for Daniel when Daniel was going through his trials. And as it turned out, there were some astrologers there. We know them today as fortune tellers and mystics and psychics. They were all there in the crowd. But they took issue with the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had come to Babylon as slaves. But now they were in positions of power, prominence, prestige, for the king had put them over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. And so now you have these mystics, these psychics, these fortune tellers who are furious because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in these positions of prominence and power. Talk about envy. Here it is. Talk about jealousy. Here it is. Talking about haters, here they are. So it was these haters went to the king with this message in verse 12. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O king, who do not pay any attention to you. King, these men are the guys that you put in charge, and yet they are not paying any attention to what you say. All the other peoples, all the people of Babylon, all those who have come for this great occasion have bowed down to worship the image except for these three. King, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And so now the king is furious. His authority is challenged. His ability to control is dead. His power is now publicly defied. Why? Because these three Hebrews have refused his command to bow down and to worship an idol. Now what the king does next is what the king does best. He threatens to have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. Listen to King Nebuchadnezzar's command in verse 15 of the text. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, I made very good. 21st century rendition. If you compromise your convictions, if you go along just to get along, if you sell out just to keep your positions, very good. But if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately. That means right away. No court, no trial, no no hearing, no second chances, no more pleading. You will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then the king said arrogantly, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So now the ball is in the court of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What they did next 
provides for us three lessons that will help us effectively face the fires in our lives. Lesson one, in order to effectively face the fires of life, we must be confident in God's power. We must be confident in God's power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted God completely. That meant that they were confident in God's power. They never wavered in their dependence upon God. In response to King Nebuchadnezzar's arrogant declaration that no gods could rescue them from his hand, they said confidently in verses 16 and 17, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they're giving him his due title. They're giving him the honor and respect of his position. They aren't being derogatory against him. They aren't being disrespectful towards the king. They are addressing him in noble fashion. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. For if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve Watch the confidence. The God we serve is able. What confidence? What, what, what trust? The God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. These men were totally and undeniably convinced that the God in whom they placed their trust, hopes, and dreams was able to deliver them from harm's way. They relied on the power of God. They respected the power of God. They revered the power of God. They were aware of the creation story. They understood that the cosmos was void and that the power of God's speech made something happen when there was nothing. They knew the story of how the Pharaoh of Egypt sought to destroy Moses and the children of Israel, but God made a way for them out of no way. They knew their history. They knew the story of Joseph who went from the pit to the palace, then on to a place of prominence in Egypt. They were well aware of how Joshua and Caleb and the army of Israel was led by God into the promised land. And they made it in spite of all of the obstacles and all of the enemies that had been placed in their way. They were acquainted with the account of how God used a Jewish girl named Hadessah and made her queen of Queen Esther and then used her to save his people from annihilation. It's good to know our history. Our history helps build our confidence in God. When we know what God has done and what God is capable of doing, it helps us face the fires. Surely they knew King Nebuchadnezzar had some power. But they relished the reality that their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had all power. Certainly there are people who have some power, but our confidence should be in God 
who has all power. And if you and I are going to effectively face the fires of our, our own fires, we must exercise complete confidence in the person, in the presence, and in the power of our risen Christ. We must rest assured that God is able to carry us through every trial, every test, every trouble, every temptation that's in our way. The writer of Jude 24 and 25 puts it like this. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power now and forevermore. In order to face the fire, we must have confidence. In God. Lesson two. If we're going to effectively face the fires of life, we must be committed to the prerogative of God. To be committed to the prerogative of God means that you and I unquestionably devote ourselves to the right that God has to work his will in our lives any way he desires to do so. It's God's prerogative. God made us. God gave us life. God sustains us. It's God's prerogative in terms of what he wants to do in and through our lives. When God called us to good hope, I understood that it was God's prerogative that I be here in Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, Gordonville, Florida. You are here today because it's God's prerogative. To be committed to God's prerogative acknowledges the fact that God is the potter and we are the clay. Isaiah 45 and 9 states the matter clearly by posing the question, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? The answer is no. It's the potter's choice to form the clay as he desires and to make out of it whatever he desires. The clay is yielded to the potter, not the other way around. Now here is where some people have the greatest challenge with Christianity. Why? Because they want to follow Jesus, but they want to follow him on their own terms. Such was the case with the young rich ruler. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted to keep all of his stuff. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted to keep his possessions. That's why he went away sad when Jesus told him to go and sell all of your stuff and give the money to the poor. It was not the person of Jesus he had a problem with. Rather, it was the prerogative of Jesus he had the problem with. You see, that's like some in modern day society who have no problem with the person of Jesus at all. No problem with embracing the truth that Jesus suffered and bled and died on Calvary's cross to save us from our sins, to make us in right relationship with God. No problem with that. We applaud the enthusiasm 
the per, of the person of Jesus who rose victoriously from the grave with all authority given unto him. Yet it's the way he chooses to work in our lives at times that makes us uneasy. It's the way he nudges us out of our comfort zone. It's the way he pushes us beyond familiar territory that causes us to squirm and shift in our seat. It's the tightrope he challenges us to walk, the narrow way he convicts us to travel, the troublesome task he confronts us to complete. Many times it's not the person of Jesus but the prerogative of Jesus that causes some to fumble, falter, and fail. And the sad reality is when Jesus does not act in accordance sometimes with personal agendas, people do just as the young rich ruler did, turn and walk away. But not so with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were committed to the prerogative of Jesus, of God. Verse 18 of the text illustrates the depth of their commitment. Under the duress of uncertainty in their lives, they said, God is able. The God we serve is able to deliver us. But here is their yielding to God's prerogative. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In other words, they were saying, however God chooses to work things out, it's all right with us because it's God's prerogative that matters and not ours. It's whatever God wants that matters and not what we want. If he delivers us, it's all right. If we perish in the flames, it's still all right. We are in a win-win situation because no matter which way God decides to go to operate, no matter which way the cookie crumbles, the ball bounces, the tide turns, we still belong to him. And it's his prerogative in terms of what he wants to do with our lives. Job 13 and 15 expresses God's uh, Job's commitment to the prerogative of God by stating, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What are you saying, Job? His voice calling down the corridors of time. What I said that day I meant, God is your prerogative. Queen Esther conveys her commitment to God's prerogative, saying in Esther 4, 16, I will go to the king. I know there's a lot at stake. I know what, what, what the law says, but I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. What are you saying, Esther? It's God's prerogative 
Surely the greatest display of commitment to God's prerogative was uttered from the lips of Jesus as he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but thou will be done. God is your prerogative. Those of us who acquiesce to the sovereign real of God live from a theological framework that says God is your prerogative that matters. Lesson three, if we're going to effectively face the fires of life, we must be comfortable with the perspective of God. We need to be at ease. We need to be calm. We need to relax concerning God's viewpoint. You see, God's point of view of Shadrach, Meshach, and, 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 and Abednego was that God, that they belonged to him. And as a result of belonging to him, God's perspective on the matter was that they worship him and him alone. That's what he meant in Exodus 20, 23, when he said, thou shall have no other gods before me. We know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were comfortable with God's perspective because in verse 18, they said, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And now because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were comfortable with God's perspective, they were comfortable with God's outlook. They stood, they took a stand. And because they were satisfied with God's point of view, they took the proper action. Because they were confident with God's outlook on life, they made the right choice. And because they made the right choice, God fought their battles. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was mad. But the king of king, the Lord of Lord, their great king was glad because they followed God's perspective instead of the king's perspective. What was the king's perspective? The king's perspective was that they bow. God had another perspective. His perspective was that they stood and stood fast and watched the salvation of the Lord. Now here's the 21st century challenge for you and for me. Are we comfortable with worshiping Christ alone? What about when the heat is on? Is it still Christ and Christ alone? What about if it means losing our earthly possessions? Is it still Christ and Christ alone? What about if, if, if when it comes to following his will, his way, and doing what he tells us to do instead of what's easy or what's comfortable or what's trendy or what's fashionable or what's lucrative? Is it still Christ and Christ alone? When things get hot, remember, you are never alone. That's always good to remember because there are times and seasons in life 
when all of us will face some fiery furnaces. It may concern marriage or rearing of our children or other family matters. It may be about our health or the health of a loved one. It may involve our careers, our jobs. It may encompass a myriad of situations and circumstances, but we all face some fiery furnaces in this life. But one thing is guaranteed. If you are a Christian, I'm not talking about if you just go to church or if you follow the rules, but if you are a Christian, I'm not talking about how you look in the eyes of of people and what people think about you. But if you and I are genuinely Christians, if we are blood-bought, spirit-born, believers in Jesus Christ, then he is with us every step of the way. In fact, the reality of his presence is what separates Christians from non-Christians who face fires and difficulties in their lives. The non-Christians face the fire of the furnace equipped only with human resources. That's all they have. When the fires come, that's all they have to count on. Human resources. What they can do. What people can do for them. The non-Christian faces the fires of life, equipped only with human resources, whereas those of us who are saved and sanctified and Holy Spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ have the promise of his presence, the promise of his power, the promise of his prerogative, the promise of his peace in our lives. Jesus promises in 13, Hebrews 13 and 5 that he would never leave us of under any circumstances nor forsake us. Now go back to verses 24 and 25 of the text which reads, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and he asked his advisors, Were there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace, into the fire that was seven times hotter than usual? Were there not three men that we threw into the same fiery furnace that burned the men that pushed them in? They replied, certainly, O king. The king said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire. Look, I see something happening when I go in for my doctor's appointment. Look, I see the power of God moving in my family. Look. I see the power of God in my workplace. I see things unfolding. I see things happening that only God could have done. Look. Look. I see deliverance. Look. 
I see a miracle. Look, I see something that I did not expect. Look, I see something that are baffling the kings, those in power and authority. Look. I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. Look. And the fourth looks like the son of God. What King Nebuchadnezzar saw to his utter amazement was that God never, ever under any circumstances abandoned those who placed their trust in him. So stand. Because the fourth person is there, stand, because God is with you, stand. There will be mountains and valleys. There will be sunshine and rain. There will be congratulations and condolences. But one thing for sure, God's people can count on, and that is he will be right there. He will be there guarding you. He will be there guiding you. He will be there giving you his peace, his best. An unknown hymn writer, as I close, wrote these words back in the 19th century. He wrote, I've seen the lightning flashing, and I've heard the thunder roll. I felt sin breakers dashing, trying to conquer my soul. I've heard the voice of my Savior. He bid me still fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. 